Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I just wanted to make a couple announcements before we get started. So first of all, I'm looking for more podcast guests. So if you're interested in being interviewed and sharing your story, please head on over to my podcast landing page. That's at motherhoodreimagined.com forward slash podcast dash home forward slash. Or you can just go to my website, motherhoodreimagined.com and follow the menu to podcast and find the sign up form. If you have ideas for guests too, please shoot me an email at sarah at motherhoodreimagined.com and let me know who you think would be a great guest. The other announcement is that the Tribe Signature Level membership is now live. You can go to my website again and follow the links for membership and go ahead and sign up. Right now I have a Thinkers Triers group and an egg donation, embryo donation support group. In these groups, you get weekly access to me via video call with the rest of the group, an online community to talk about what's coming up for you, as well as tons of done-for-you research and reflection exercises and really everything you need to kind of help you navigate this choice and this process without feeling alone. So I hope you will join me. Now let's get started with our guest. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Motherhood Reimagined podcast. I'm joined with Marnie, who has a 10-year-old son. I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. Hi, Marnie. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for being here. So I'd like to start out asking people, when you were a child, what did you expect for your life and ideas around kids or family? I think like the majority of people, you know, I expected I would meet my Prince Charming, fall in love, have a family. But as I got older, what I realized is I was pretty career driven and I loved being able to get up and do things on my own. You know, I did have a couple of long-term relationships, but yeah, I, I think like most people, I thought I would, you know, get married, have kids, a boy, a girl, you know, white picket fence and all of that. <laughs> yes. And so then can you tell us what your path to motherhood ended up looking like? Sure. So I actually was engaged, got engaged when I was about 30 and we never got married. And after that relationship, I kind of needed a break. And I was about 34 years old at the time. And I kept saying, oh, do you, are, if you're familiar with the secret, it's like what you mm. put out there comes back to you. And I now realize that. But I always said, oh, if I got to be 40 and I wasn't married, didn't have kids, I would have a child on my own. And, you know, I'll never forget having a conversation with my gynecologist when I was about 36. And she's like, I don't know what you're waiting for. Like, just do it now. And I was just not ready. You know, I think I was selfish. I'm not sure that we're ever ready to become a mom, especially on our own. 
So my path to motherhood, seriously, was the day I turned 40. It might have actually been a day or two before, but I got in touch with a fertility doctor and made an appointment and started going through, you know, all the, the tests and trying to figure it all out. Mm, wow, that's that's a good story. So how did you end up getting pregnant? Can you take us through that a little? Yeah, I will because I have, I guess, a bit of a unique story. So I knew after my tests that my eggs were way older than my biological age was and so that I was going to have some issues. My doctor recommended just going through three IUIs because, you know, for that small percentage chance if it did happen, I'd save a lot of money. So we did that. And what is crazy for anyone else who's been through this journey is you never know what's going to happen. You have your mind. I'm kind of a, I like to plan things out. And in between cycles, I didn't know that I would end up with cysts and I would have to go on birth control pills and I'd have to wait. And it's just this crazy roller coaster. And so after three tries didn't happen, I did went straight to IVF. I did IVF with my, my first time and I did get pregnant. Unfortunately, after six, eight weeks, there was no heartbeat. And so that just, we terminated. And then I tried a second time with my own. I did not get pregnant. After my second roundabout, my doctor sat down with me and had a really interesting conversation <laughs> because I always said that if I couldn't get pregnant, I would adopt. And he said, you know, I've gotten women in your situation pregnant before. As I told you from the beginning, it probably was going to be a little bit harder, but this is the time where you need to maybe look at other options and see what you want to do. And so... We talked about adoption. We talked about egg donation, fostering, all of that stuff. And I was adamant about, I will adopt, I will adopt. And he said to me, well, why did you come to me? And I said, to get pregnant. And he said, so you actually are, want to be pregnant? And I said, yes. And he said, well, if that's the case, then you should think about egg donation and you know do some research and all of that. I tried one more time with my own, did not get pregnant. And at that point, after you know spending so much money, I had to really decide what to do. And I actually took about an eight-month hiatus. I wanted to try. I love to travel. I had missed doing that. I wanted to go on a trip with my friends to Brittany and Normandy and do a bike trip through France. And so I did that. And when I came back, I decided to go the egg donor route. And so that is what I did. Mm, sounds familiar to myself. And how do you feel like that sort of decision point between not using your own eggs and sort of deciding to use egg donor instead of adoption? Can you talk a little bit about what what went on in your mind and how you got to that place? I can. And I'm glad you asked that question because it reminds me of what I think is an important part. So the egg donation thing, I was standoffish about because I felt like a failure. I felt like it wasn't my own. How am I going to connect? And I shared this with my doctor and he gave me the name of a couple people, but I picked one in particular to go talk to. And after talking to her for an hour, I was like, okay, I can do this. I think part of the disappointment, again, is you feel like a failure. I waited too long. At the time when I started, I had not told my parents that I had actually started. My parents are divorced. However, they get along pretty well. I knew they knew I was thinking about it. They didn't know that I started. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and my parents were both in New York at the time. And I, I needed to do it for myself. And I didn't need, you know, that sort of that added pressure of family. So are you, aren't you, what's going on? I didn't want all the questions. Mm -hmm. I have an amazing supportive group of friends and, you know, 
four or five of my very close friends knew what I was going through. So after I talked to this this woman and I started to really think about, yes, I did want to be pregnant. I did want to carry my baby. You know, I had to have the conversation with my parents at that point. And that's what I think I had to come to terms with more to say, I'm doing this, but this is where I'm at. And biologically, this is not good. My child is not going to have your genes. And that was kind of a tough conversation. I knew they would be accepting and they would be great about it. But for me, again, it goes back to feeling like a failure. Mm -hmm. And so once I got through all of that, I was good to go. Mm -hmm. And I really, at the time, because when I did this, this was 12 years ago when I started my process. So it was 2006. You know, it wasn't as accepted as it is now. And for certain, being a single woman wanting to adopt would not have gone over so well. And I didn't want someone telling me whether or not I was going to be a good mom. I knew I was going to be a great mom. So I that's where I decided and I was comfortable with going the egg donor route. Mm -hmm. So had more to do with realizing that you wanted to be pregnant and that it would be really hard to adopt? Was that? I would say yes. I would say yes. And I did really want to be pregnant. I wanted to know what it would be like to carry mm -hmm. a child. I mean, I think we think about that, you know, from the time we're little girls. You know, I always thought about what it would be like mm -hmm. to be pregnant, be able to eat whatever you want and gain weight and not have to worry about, you know, it's, it's the only nine months of your life, right? You can, you know, do that for the most part. And so I would say yes. Mm -hmm. I would say the big thing for me is I did want to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. And can you, so then like myself, I use double donors as well. Can you talk a little bit about picking both of those donors and how that process went for you? So the sperm donor was the same one I used throughout. And I've got a great story about this. <laughs> my, my doctor had given me three sperm banks. At the time, there was one that was just more user-friendly to me. And so that's the one I was going with. And at the time, my roommate from college, her son was months old, probably, probably about nine months old or a little under a year. And she called me one day and said, well, what sperm bank are you using? And I told her and she's like, well, that's where Aiden's father's from. And I said, oh, OK. And she said, well, where are you in the process? And I found the process looking for sperm donors pretty overwhelming. I found myself going back to the same ones that I didn't want. So I had taken a piece of paper and I had a yes, no and a maybe column. And I just started to write down, you know, their ID numbers wherever I saw them fit. And I had a whole bunch in the no's. I had a bunch in the maybes and I had none in the yeses. However, in the maybe column, I had two circled with arrows pointing towards the and I still have the piece of paper to this day. That was awesome. So, so she said to me, she said, when you get home, call me and tell me what those two numbers are. So I called her. I told her my two numbers. And she goes, one of those is Aiden's father. And I'm like, you are kidding me. And she's like, nope. So we kind of laughed. Yeah, we, that's all we could do is we laughed about mm -hmm. it. We hung up the phone. She literally called me at like 7 a.m. the next morning. And she said, okay, I've thought about this all night. I want you to know that I am great if you want to use the same donor. She's like, you know, we've been friends since college. So we met when we were 18. You know, this is when I was 40. You know, we don't see each other and talk all the time, but she's one of those people you pick up the phone, you know, after six months of not talking and you're great. And I was freaked out about it. I was kind of like, Oh, no, thank you. Bye bye. I didn't say that to her, but I just I hung up and I'm like, okay, you know, great. Thanks for letting me know. And I think the reason I was kind of freaked out is, you know, 12 years ago, so much has changed in 12 years. You know, 12 years ago, people didn't really know donor siblings. You know, you didn't have all this internet and ancestry.com and all of that to try and find people. And, you know, I was kind of freaked out. So then, you know, two weeks passed and I called her back. I'm like, are you still sure? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, reason being was I realized that my child could have a connection when there was little hope of ever finding a connection because most sperm donors 12 years ago were anonymous. There was no, there's no contact. There were very, very few 
you know, open or open at 18. I'm not sure of the right, the right terminology to use, but there were very few. And so I was like, okay, God forbid anything happened to me. God forbid anything happened to her. We love each other's families. We know our sons can be in touch together. So we just went for it. And, you know, it was a really, it was really interesting along the route because we did have a little hiccup in it in that after, I don't know if it was my first time, my second time of buying sperm, I'd gone back to buy sperm and the sperm donor's number was gone. Oh no! And I called the sperm bank and they said, well, you're going to get a letter in the mail. And I got a letter in the mail and actually the sperm donor had tested. So they don't test for, for this mutation that he carried, but a, a baby was reported with this, I'm going to call it a disease. And there are two forms to it. One is can be, you can live with it your whole life. And as long as you know, you have it, you're great. And the other one is not so good. and doesn't have such a good outcome. And that's why they took him off. And so I called back the sperm bank and I literally, I had to fight, but I told one person I talked to, she loved my story of using the same sperm donor and how it all happened. And she said, let me talk to the director and see what we can work out. And we were able to work something out. They were only letting the sperm, if you already had a sibling, Mm -hmm. they would allow you to do it. And I had to go through some extra testing to make sure I wasn't a carrier. I had to do it to make sure my donor, my egg donor wasn't a carrier, but it all worked out. So it wound up being great. Now on the egg donor side, when I got to that part, you know, that is a little more challenging because there are not many egg donors out there, at least 12 years ago you know, it kind of was very limiting. And I was ended up using an agency in California. And I ended up actually talking to my egg donor once. I had asked the agency if anyone had talked to them. And she said, well, all I can do is ask. And if she says yes, I'll facilitate it. And it was an awesome experience Mm. because I got to really, you know, know about her. We were very much alike. I think she and I would have been friends, you know, had we, you know, met in person and had it been open. But, you know, that I I went back and forth with a couple of people. I mean, with that, you know, you want to know what their motives are. I kind of wanted to get to know the person more so than knowing the sperm donor because Mm. I knew what she'd have to go through and I didn't want her to flake out on me. Right. Wow. And so are you able to be in, do you have any information on her? Like, can you open ID in any way or just that one conversation and that was it? It was just that one conversation and that is it. However, I do know her first name and I will say I somehow found out her last name. Mm. But no, we have not been in contact mm-hmm. and I, I respect that and I would not right. do that unless I knew my child was sick and I needed to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. So what is the follow-up of the story? So now you and your college roommate have kids by the same donor. Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship's been like in that contact? Yes, I can. So the first time they met, my child was seven weeks old and her son was about two and a half. So there wasn't much interaction there. You know, unfortunately, we live on different coasts. They live in the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. So it's a little more difficult to see each other. However, I'm from New York. And so I go back there pretty often. So they do see each other. They do talk from time to time. It's pretty cool. You know, my son have asked, do you have brothers or sisters? He will say, I have a brother. And a lot of times people don't get it right away. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, I've never seen your brother around. Oh, he lives <laughs> in a different city, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I've always, and this might lead into a question you'd ask, you know, I've always been very open with my son about how he was created and where he came from. And so he's got no problem answering back to people. But they do, they have a cool relationship. You know, I think as they get older, it's going to be better just for the mere fact of the age difference. So, Mm -hmm. you know, being three years, my son being 
seven, hers being 10. You know, now he's 13 and a half and my son is 10. You know, there there are different stages of their life. So they get along, they'll, when they see each other, it's great. But I think as they get older, it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And And how did you, can you talk a little bit about how you approached that conversation about his conception as well as the his donor sibling? So I've always said that I would be very open from him. I will never forget before I got pregnant, there was an Oprah episode on that had some of the first sperm conceived children. And some had known straight away, you know, as soon as their parents could start explaining to them, and they were so well adjusted. And there were ones who, you know, it was 30, they're 30 years old and just finding out and they were like devastated and felt lied to and all this. And, you know, that was one of the things that I think with my college roommate and I, we were on the same page, you know, we're going to tell our kids from as early as we can, you know, where they came from and how they were made. And so I don't, I think my son was about five when we first started talking about it. He never really asked. And I don't know if this is a difference between boys and girls or just my child's not very detail oriented. <laughs> so it didn't it didn't phase him. I do remember once, probably when he was about four, I was out to lunch with one of his friends and the moms. The mom and I were talking and he and his friend were talking. And all of a sudden, I just heard him say, you know, I only have a mom. I don't have a dad. You know, my family is me and my mom and just went on to another topic, mm-hmm. like didn't even phase him. And he's always been like that. And probably because I, you know, dropped things here and there of, of saying things. But when we had the first real conversation, I would say, you know, I said, you know, I just wanted, I wanted to be a mom and I hadn't met the man to give me the boy parts yet. And so, you know, I found someone who was willing to donate it and, you know, he is anonymous. And so we just in as layman terms as you can explain it to them as an age, you know, there did come a point, and this is probably about two years ago, I did say to him, so you know how I've told you about I needed the boy parts? Well, you know what? My girl parts didn't work so good either. And so I've got both. I don't know that he really understands what that means at 10 years old. Mm hmm. But he knows that he's loved and that I loved him to get these to have it done. And so I've explained to him, we've read some books and he doesn't really ask all that much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've asked him if he wants to find, you know, any other brothers or sisters. You know, I was adamant in the beginning. I have no desire to do that unless he wants to. And he doesn't seem right now to want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having, I know that for me, my son's only four and a half right now. And I, it feels like a very different conversation between the sperm donor and egg donor. And I have to like remind myself to have the egg donor conversation with them because there just isn't that like there's not that piece missing Mm -hmm. it is very different and I realized that one day where all of a sudden I was like oh gosh I've never told him about the other side of it Mm -hmm. because I carried him you know Mm -hmm. I'm like you are in my tummy you know I carried you for those nine months I nurtured you but someone else helped me get there and there'll be a day where he's going to understand the graphics of it you know of, of how it actually works and the science behind it but he he's he's inquisitive about things he's interested in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll see if he's ever interested in finding out more about this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've been trying to tell him something, but it just my little spiel is it takes something from a man and something from a woman and a woman to grow it in. And I mm-hmm. needed something from a man and something from a woman. And I feel like, you know, he's four. They act like they're not paying attention. And then one day he was like, are you my mom? And I was like, of course. Oh. I was like, of course I'm your mom. What are you talking about? And then I realized he was like referring back to this donor conversation. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, 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 what are you asking? And, you know, just trying to get really clear on what his question was. And he was like, yeah, because you said that you used, you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. It did go in. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's never been a question since, but I just, I always have to remind myself like, okay, I, ha- I don't want it to be a surprise. I think that was what I learned in going through all of this and sort of the lessons I think we've learned through through time of there being donors, that the surprise, the people who are surprised are not happy. So I've been trying to mm-hmm. make myself say it, but it, it feels so not relevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's it's interesting. Do you have any regrets about using a double donor or about being a single mom? Anything about the way your path transpired? Not not one bit. You know, I it's probably a little harder than I thought it was going to be. I when I had my son, I didn't have any family living here. I think sometimes. So I'll tell you the one thing that I I had to learn through this whole process is to ask for help, and that has been really. So that probably is the thing that surprised me the most is that. I got over myself and realized (laughs) that I can't do this alone. And even though, you know, you're like, I have my tribe or, you know, I have my community, asking for help has never been easy for me. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to do that. And so I would say that's probably one of the most surprising things, just things that I've learned about myself is that, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks (laughs) (laughs) to do. And, you know, if someone could help me, they'd say yes. And if they couldn't, they'd say no. And it had nothing to do with me. I couldn't take it personally. If they told me no, it wasn't because they didn't like me. It was just because they truly couldn't help me at that moment. And, you know, you find a way to make things work. You have to be creative at times. That's probably been a little bit surprising. And, you know, my my journey, I've kind of gotten to have both sides of it because the first two and a half years, I worked a corporate job and um, I used to kiss my desk on Monday mornings. I don't apologize for this. I think being a stay-at-home mom is the hardest job in the world. And kudos to all of those moms out there that do it. It was never me. And I think that goes back to my story of, you know, putting it off, getting, doing the the single mother thing because I was career driven. And I always knew I would not be a stay-at-home mom. It just, it's not in my DNA. I know some people have it and others just don't. And I'm one of those who don't. But I used to literally kiss my desk on Monday mornings <laughs> because I was like, oh, someone else is taking care of him. I can actually, you know, get my work done, do something for me if I need to. But when he was two and a half, I left corporate America to start my own business. Mm. And I will tell you, I didn't realize how much I was missing out on. Mm. And just the being able to drop off, pick up, go volunteer, all of that. And so I think that is probably surprised me about my journey of now of having seen both sides. I would love for more people to be able to have that, have that time to be able to see, yes. And I'm not saying you have to be a stay-at-home mom. You can find things to do. There are opportunities out there. But to be able to have that, you know, I never thought, oh, I missed his first step or his first word. When I saw it, to me, that was his first step. It was his first step for me. The first time I saw him roll over, you know, things like that. But what I do realize, and I think we've got maternity leave backwards. I would have liked to have gone back to work right away. And when he was about a year old, then be able to take some time Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. and really spend time with him. But what I see now of being able to volunteer in his classroom being able to be there for those things. And for some people, it might not, it might not matter. But, you know, I do see kids in, in class who don't have their parents ever come volunteer or show up for things. And so I think that surprised me the most is the time that I have now and want with him more so than the I've got to go to work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still do work, but just the being able to make my own schedule to be able to be present, as you and I talked about before, mm-hmm. you know, that being present 
part because we only have 18 years with our kids, you know, before Mm -hmm. they go off to (laughs) college Mm -hmm. or university. And those, I will tell you, like a blink go by so fast. I know. I know. Yeah, I've I've owned my own business for a while. And when my son was really young, I was writing a book and I would – basically could only afford like half day childcare. And so he would be gone from nine to one or eight thirty to one. And then ideally nap from like one to three. And I would, you know, bust my butt working during those times. And then once he went to sleep around seven or eight, I'd work till like midnight. And it was grueling. And I feel so blessed that I had those afternoons with him. And I still sort of do similarly now in Mexico. They have school ends at like two, which I guess is common elsewhere, but there's no real aftercare. So I'm with him from like two o'clock in the afternoon until when he goes to bed. And then I work again at night. And I just think it should be an option if people want to structure their day that way, Mm -hmm. even if you're at a corporate job. Like I'm still getting in at least eight, 10 hours of work a day, but I'm just doing it in a totally, you know, backwards way, which is, you know, maybe not super sustainable long term, but I just love having our afternoons together. And it's, mm-hmm. I just think that we should be able to structure our work day however we want. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, do you think having used double donors or anything about the way your path has altered your relationship with your child in any way? Oh, not at all. The, the only way I think it would do is is because we used egg donors of do you think that bond will be there? You know, I think in the beginning, I thought about that. You know, funny enough, when he was little, he kind of looked like a blonde version of my dad when he was little. Mm. Like if you look at pictures, mm-hmm. it's kind of a little creepy crazy, <laughs> but they looked very much alike. And you know, what I think is really interesting, you know, is, and I have this because he has his half brother is nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. You know, how kids grow up and do they have anything that's like their donor, not like their donor, like you. I just, I find that part, that part fascinating Mm -hmm. to it. I picked donors that had similar qualities to me, not only like, so they usually tell you when you look for your donor, look for someone who looks like you. And I've got brown hair, brown eyes. I ended up with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed child. (laughs) But, you know, I also look for characteristics. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I said I think my egg donor and I would be friends is because we had a lot of similar characteristics of things we like, being outdoorsy, loving animals, you know, playing sports, you know, that kind of thing. So therefore, I had a better shot of my son maybe liking that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it is really interesting. The only sport my son has ever wanted to really play is soccer. He has played, he's never wanted to test out any other sports. And my donor played division one college soccer. So you look at nature, you know, and that definitely plays a role there. And then, you know, nurture and how I nurture him into certain other things. But it, I think it is really interesting, but I don't have any issue. I never have looked at him and thought, oh, you're not mine Mm -hmm. from the day he was born. You know, I just, I looked at him and I'm like, you're mine. I, because I think when you carry, you have nine months of nurturing that baby, Mm -hmm. regardless of it's your own egg or someone else's. Mm -hmm. And so for me, no, I didn't have any, you know, sort of second thought or hesitation or anything. Mm -hmm. Great. I think it's just wonderful for people to hear that because I think it's, it's when you're looking at whether or not to use an egg donor, I know for me, that was a huge stress. 
And then mm-hmm. I love to hear how different women articulate like, oh my gosh, no, I've never even thought twice about it again or whatever it is for them. Because from the other side, it's hard to believe, I think. And I think when you're going through it, you know, as I said, I'm sure it's different for everyone. But for for me, I just, I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I'm put on this earth to do is to, you know, have babies if I want, if I choose to do so. And now I can't, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, I don't for a moment regret anything. I love, love the journey. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's wonderful to hear. In in hindsight, would you do anything differently from knowing what you know now? I think the only thing I would do differently is I would have skipped the three rounds of IUI and went straight to IVF mm-hmm. <clears throat> because that three rounds was about probably about six or seven months or eight mm-hmm. months. And I don't know whether or not my chances were. I don't think this way, but I don't know if my chances would have been better or not. But I think I would have skipped it just because of the slim, slim chance. I, again, understand why my doctor wanted me to do it. Because if you did get pregnant, you're going to save yourself, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But I think I would have, time-wise, I would have jumped right in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give to someone if they were either sort of struggling to get pregnant via IUI and IVF, at that point where there's being told maybe you need to use an egg donor or at that moment when you had to decide whether or not to be a single mom? So if you're deciding to whether or not to use an egg donor, I would say talk to other mothers who have done it, mm-hmm. you know, get their perspective on it. Over the years, it's it's crazy. You know, I remember when I was a kid, we used to play this game called uh, Bug. And if you saw like a Volkswagen Bug, because they were way popular back in the 70s when I was growing up, you know, and we play this game Punch Buggy or you yell out the color and so you can find so many, you know, but once you saw one, you saw them all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so once I had my son, it was amazing how many people came to me and said, my friend's thinking of doing this. Will you talk to her? And I know so-and-so who's doing this. Do you mind if I give them your number? And so I don't know how many people I've talked to just really about the single mother thing piece more so than the egg donor. Mm-hmm. But I would say just talk to people who have been through it. You know, it is a hard process. You want to know you're going to make the right decision. So it's stressful. And I don't know if the number of egg donors has grown over the 12 years, but, you know, women have to go through quite a process, Mm -hmm. you know, to have their eggs extracted. And so there aren't as many to Mm -hmm. choose from. And so you're like, well, I want this one. And then this one's gone. And, you know, depending upon, you know, financially, the ones who've had more success get paid more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it can be very, very stressful. So I think my advice would be, you know, talk to people who've gone through it. Don't rely on talking to people who have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, your married friends who've had no trouble getting pregnant, those are not the ones to be talking to. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes, I think that's very good advice. (laughs) (laughs) I love my married friends, but you know, it's not, they're not, they they don't understand what you're going through. Yeah, I know when I told one of my dear friends who's been a friend since college and we went to law school together and and I said, I'm thinking about being a single mom. And I thought for sure she was going to be so excited. And I just caught her at a moment where she was like, I want to be free. And she was like, why would you ever do that? It's hard enough with a partner. Why would you ever do it alone? And I was like, okay, wrong audience. Like, <laughs> yeah, pedal backwards. Let's go find someone else to tell because – Yeah, it also depends when you catch people, like what timing Mm -hmm. that you're talking to them. (laughs) You know, and I think a lot of people think sometimes, you know, grass is always greener. You know, I'll have a lot of friends say to me, you're so lucky. You're the end all be all. You make the decision. Mm -hmm. You don't have to sit down with someone else 
you know, and figure out what your stance is going to be on something or, you know, are you guys agreeing on things? And yes, that is true. However, you know, there are times where you lie in bed at night and you're like wishing someone was there that you could say, you know Mm -hmm. what, I had a hard day today and, you know, can you pick up and do this tomorrow Mm -hmm. or, you know, someone to talk it over with, you know, so grass isn't, isn't always greener. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard for both. Mm -hmm. It's very true. It's different struggles, I think. Mm -hmm. So in what ways has being a mother been different than what you expected? You never expected that you can love another human being so much. Mm, yeah. I mean, that is definitely, like, I knew I would love my child, but it's like, holy cow, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And what would you say you like least about being a mom? Oh, is having to probably be good cop and bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's finding that that happy medium because you don't have two people to play off of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's you're their mom, not their friend, but you want to be their friend too because you're the only one they have. So I find that not so fun, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and challenging and probably one of the things that I do like, like least. Mm-hmm. But I love being a mom. Probably one of my only regrets is I wish I would have started earlier. So maybe I would have had a second, but you know, I wouldn't change, really wouldn't change a thing. I think everything happens for a reason and it happens the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So changing topics a little, have you dated at all since you've been a single mom? And can you talk about what that's been like? Sure. So after my son was born, I dated right away, actually. And I found it much easier to date when he was younger. Mm. You know, when he's a baby, they go to sleep. They don't know you're not there. Mm -hmm. But then I started to realize I was wasting, I don't want to say wasting my time. I was meeting all these people, all these men that I didn't really... Yeah, I don't know, didn't connect with. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to take my time away from my child, it's really got to be worth it. And so dating has been few and far between because, you know, as working and being a mom and being the only person, it's hard to find the time. And quite honestly, I haven't made it a priority to do however I would like to. So we'll see where that goes. Mm-hmm. And I would say when I've gone on, I would say when I've gone on dates, I just tell my son I'm going out with friends. Mm-hmm. I can't. Um, I think that's awesome that you dated when he was a baby. I could not. I could barely get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> So it's good that there's people out there who feel like they're capable when they're babies. You know, I think that goes back to, so this is funny because, you know, I think it goes back to the, I never, I didn't want to be a stay at home mom. So I needed to get out and I needed, I'm social. I needed the social interaction. So it was a way to get that social interaction Mm -hmm. was, was getting out, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and doing that. And I just found it much easier when, when he was little to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. there were no questions asked. Mm -hmm. I want to say he was asleep, but my son was the worst sleeper ever. (laughs) So he usually was still up when I got home, Mm. but it was just, I felt, felt, felt it easier when they were little. Well, you'll have to keep us posted if you do start dating again and how it's going and how you navigate that with a preteen. It will be interesting. Yeah. Although he said to me, you know, we once had a conversation and he probably was about six years old and he said to me, I think he asked asked me and said, well, do you want a husband? And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, it would be nice to have a part, someone to do things with and, you know, to make our family, you know, even bigger and whatnot. And he's like, you know, that would be okay with me. <laughs> and so it was, you know, it was interesting. I think at the time he didn't get what it really meant. And truly, I do think he would be good with it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it would be an issue, but 
I think also, you know, it would take a pretty big commitment for me then to introduce him Mm -hmm. to anyone because I don't want it to be this here today, gone tomorrow. Right, right. So any other advice for women who are on this path? I know you started this journey quite some time ago and the world was it wasn't as acceptable as a path. It was harder to find people out there. Anything you would say about what's different now and how it's either better or worse? So I'll tell you about the differences. I don't know better or worse. Some people might say better. Some people might say worse. Um, I think the differences is there's a lot larger community mm-hmm. of us single moms now than there was 12 years ago. It is a lot more accepted. People aren't shocked when they hear it. You know, when you say I'm a single mom and they're like, oh, well, where's the dad? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm a single mom by choice. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't meet the man. And they're like, oh. So I think now more people have heard about that. I think the biggest difference, which I touched on earlier, was that, you know, there were not many open donors or, you know, 18, age 18, you know, come find me donors back then. And you didn't have all the 23andMe and Mm Ancestry.com to find people. And so that, I think, has been a game changer for, you know, our community of, you know, being able to find half-brothers, half-sisters, parents, uncles, you know, aunts, whatever, cousins, Mm -hmm. if you want to. You know, I don't know whether that'll be our path or not. You know, we'll see. He's got a connection to, you know, his his biological father. And I would say to the people who are going through it now, you know, just, you know, be open-minded, understand there are so many different points of view on this. And, you know, don't be judgmental if someone, you know, thinks differently than you think, you know, or how you think you would feel about something, because it does change along the way. When I started, I would say I was, you know, pretty adamant of, you know, I have no desire to connect with other families. You know, our local single moms group here, I would say a good majority of them have connected with other families. So it has, you know, has me thinking about it, but, you know, I would never force it on my son. It's if he wants it, we'll do it. And if not, if not. That's very helpful. And anything else you want to add in closing? Anything else we didn't touch on? I think I would say if, you know, just to someone, if you're, if you're thinking about it, don't wait. I get why they tell you to have kids when you're younger. I was just, you know, three months shy of my 43rd birthday when I had my son. So I do get why they tell you to, to have a child when you're, you're younger. I do think that I'm more patient now than I would have been in my early 30s. But I would say, you know, do it sooner rather than later so you can handle it. I know what I was, there was something I was going to say to you earlier and I just, it just dawned on me. We were talking about how you could hardly get dressed, you know, Mm -hmm. and get out when your child was early. I remember when I went to the hospital, because I had a scheduled C-section, when I went to the hospital thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do with this child? (laughs) I know nothing. Like, oh my goodness. Like, so you're never prepared. I don't know that you're ever ready to have a child, even if you're not on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a complete new, you know, new chapter. And I did have a complication. And so I was able to have an extra night in the the hospital. And I remember when the nurse came to me and she said, you know, your insurance company approved another night. Do you want to stay? And I'm like, hell yes. (laughs) Because I don't know what I'm going to do with this child when I go home. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that might stop people sometimes of, you know, the timing's not right. Not yet. Not now. Don't wait. I'd say just, you know, do it. It's the best, best, best decision I've ever made. Hmm. And you didn't have family close by when you first had your child? I feel like you said that. No, I did not. I had no one here, I think, for the first year. And then my mother moved here, but she only lived here for about 
four years. Mm-hmm. And then she moved away when my son was about five. And then my dad just moved here a couple months ago. So yeah, I've done this with basically having no family. Mm-hmm. And what would you say? So I feel like I hear women a lot on various forums saying, oh, I can't do it or wondering whether or not they can do it if they don't have family close by. And what would you say to that? If you keep telling yourself you can't do it, you can't do it. So <laughs> it's changing your mindset to I've got this. And just knowing that you're, you have to ask for help. I would say, you know, make sure financially you put yourself in a good position to, you know, be able to, you know, have a babysitter so you can get out or, you know, find some other single moms in your area where you can maybe do a swap where you take their child for a night, they take your child for a night, you know, where there's a will, there's a way Mm -hmm. and you can, can figure it out. I really didn't, when I was going through the process, I really didn't think it would be a big deal not to be in your family. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I'll figure it out as I go. Right. I know for a lot of people, they have a harder time with that. But, you know, like anything, if you keep saying, I'm not pretty, I'm not smart, I'm not that, that's what your mind believes. Mm -hmm. But if you, you know, give yourself some good positive self-talk, I can do this, you know, you're going to be able to do it. You're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have very little, I have virtually zero family help. So I... I think that's very true, but I know for a lot of people that it just feels like unfathomable. And I'm like, no, you mm-hmm. do not need to have family, but you do need to figure out how to ask for help. So on that note, how you talked about having to get over yourself and ask for help. How do you think you or what advice would you give to women who are learning how to ask for help or at that point where they need to get more help? I think I just have to sit down and have a good old hard talk with myself mm-hmm. of, you know, what do I want my life to be like? And people are, you know, as women, we're nurturers. We want to help other people. We want to help other people before we'll help ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think you just have to, uh, and I think part of it for some people, too, is that fear of being rejected if they say no, or I don't want to burden them by asking someone. And, you know, what I just had to tell myself is baby steps, you know, ask one person. And after I asked one person and they said, yes, it became easier to ask again Mm -hmm. and again and again. And when I realized, you know what, if they can't do it, they'll tell me no. And you know what, that's okay. Because at least I asked and I kind of got out of my own way because your life won't get any better, you know, (laughs) or, you know, your life won't change. You know, if you think about if you never ask for help, you really, truly, I don't know that you can do it on your own. I mean, I was very lucky. I could take my my son to work events and to things like that. So I didn't always have to have a babysitter. But, you know, at times where I did or I wanted to, you know, people are willing to help. And I think for me, it was just having to take those baby steps of asking. And the more I ask, the more I gain confidence and the more I'm like, okay, this is okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm weak. I think that's what so many of us feel like. If we ask for help, it's a sign of weakness that we can't do it. And then those naysayers are going to be like, I told you so, (laughs) you know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it is. And what I've learned in my older age and wisdom is I really don't care what other people think anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about (laughs) me and my family and you know what's good for us. If you think I shouldn't have done it, so be it. But you know what? There's probably things I think you shouldn't have done. (laughs) I think that's great advice. Uh So, you know, just asking for help, just practice at it. Mm -hmm. I know it's a skill. I feel like I have to try and remind people it's actually a skill and you can learn it. As you said, you can teach an old dog new tricks. You know, and I'll tell you this, and sometimes it, it takes getting help from a couple of people. So we have, um, you know, a, a global training conference for the company I'm, I'm with that I'm a consultant for. And that 
is four days and it's in Vegas. And, Mm. you know, it's hard to ask someone to take your child for four days. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to do it where, well, can you take him for two nights and can you have him for one night? And, you know, you find a way to make that work. And people, you know, my biggest concern is, well, how is he going to get from point A to point B to point C? They'll all figure it out. Mm -hmm. They have cell phones. (laughs) They'll talk to each other, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. do, it is doable and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're willing to help you do it. The first time I did it was a little rough, I will say. But after that, and I realized, you know, everything went smoothly and he got from point A to point B with all his stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. he had his toothbrush and you know what, if he lost it, they'd buy him a new one. So, (laughs) you know, I think it's just that, that practice of asking Mm -hmm. for help. Mm -hmm. Yes. And letting go of control a little, I think like completely. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yep. Type A personality here. like to be in control of everything. Yeah. Yep. And you learn, and I think it comes, it comes with older age Mm -hmm. for me at least. Mm -hmm. And I don't need that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't serve me very well is what I realized. It serves me better to, to let go of it sometimes. Mm, That's great. Anything else before we wrap up? I don't think so. This has been awesome. I hope, you know, if something I said, you know, helps someone that, you know, that is awesome. I just, I love talking to to people who are thinking about Mm. going through this. So if you ever come across anyone who needs to talk to someone, you are more than happy to connect us. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure having you. you, And thank you for being so generous with your story and your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I appreciate what you're doing and it's been great. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. If you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go As Planned. It's available everywhere books are sold. Next week, I'm joined by a returning guest, Stacy, who we spoke to in episode four. You may remember that after eight long years of trying to get pregnant, She found out within the same 24-hour period that she was chosen to be an adoptive mother and that her surrogate was pregnant. Next week's episode, we dive deep into the adoption process. She gives us the pitfalls, how to make it go smoothly, and really just a great overview of the adoption process. If you've ever thought about adopting or if you're curious about the adoption process as a single mom, this is a wonderful episode, so please don't miss it. See you next week. Bye for now.